0: A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means adult language is probably going to be present. Just so you know. from the bedlam podcast network this is a tiny revolution celebrating our everyday victories while telling the stories and having the conversations that actually matter my name is kevin garcia and i am back friends i know that it's been a while uh two weeks actually since i posted a new podcast and i apologize i was in mexico and then i was recovering from mexico so um sorry but uh self-care is real and it was so good you guys I think everyone should go on a cruise in the middle of winter to a place that you know nothing about. Um, (laughs) Anyways, um, I'm so excited to be back. I've got some really, really great interviews and stuff lined up for the next couple weeks for you. And I'm really excited that you're here to share with me. I want to give a special shout out on the front end of the podcast to everyone who became a Patreon supporter before the first of the month um we uh we're up to 300 and like close to 360 dollars in support per month for the podcast and the blog and that is amazing because the more support i get on that end the more time i can put into actually producing content um and i think it's important especially in a time like we have now with the tyrant that we have in the white house all the crazy things happening now more than ever, we need spaces to have conversations and tell stories that are going to bring some light into the world. They're going to tell stories that are different than what we've been handed. So if you think that this work is important, if you think that um, telling LGBT stories if you think telling stories of people of color if you think that resisting what is happening in our world is important then I challenge you become a patreon supporter you can get all the information about the easy rewards that we have over at patreon.com slash the Kevin Garcia and uh, there's rewards as low as a dollar so it's really not gonna hurt you too badly just throw a little little coin my way because honestly like you know I think um, I've got some people that I support online too because If you are consuming a product, shouldn't you be paying for it? That's just an idea. Maybe we should pay our creatives in 2017. Pay the people who are helping with the resistance, y'all. We need help. We need help. Um, But if for any reason, uh, I know a lot of us, we're all strapped for cast. But if you do me a favor, go over to the iTunes store right now. Uh, You're probably on your phone right now. And all it takes is just uh, clicking into your iTunes store. And just leave me a quick rating. Leave a five-star rating. Tell me or tell tell people why you love the show and then share it on social media because honestly it's because of voices like you and people like you that we are reaching the people who need to hear this stuff who need a good word of hope. Okay, enough about that stuff. Um let's talk about some travel stuff. Coming up this summer, I've already got the Wild Goose Festival is in my calendar. That is the weekend of July 7th and that's in Hot Springs, North Carolina, and I am so excited to go back to that little hippie forest in Narnia to celebrate all God is doing. So if you um like camping, if you like justice work, if you like music festivals, if you like any sort of combination of that, the Wild Goose Festival is for you. Um hopefully I'm already talking to some people about leading worship there, about doing some workshops there. All the details are forthcoming. But you can get your tickets and info at wildgoosefest.org. And the Reformation Project just announced their national conference in Chicago. That's going to be October 26th. So why don't you go ahead and head over there, get your tickets for that. Right now, early bird registration is just $99. So you know you got $99 right now that you're probably going to go spend on an outfit or something cute. Spend it on a weekend weekend of education, a weekend of being empowered, a weekend of community with other queer Christians and allies from across the country. Reformation Project is always my favorite. It's also a lot less busy than uh, the Gay Christian Network Conference because it's just it's less people. It's a little bit more uh, geared toward an educational vibe, um, but it's really, really good stuff. And then we always hang out. We always go out. We always have a good time. So again, get your information at reformationproject.org slash Chicago. Today, I am sharing a conversation with my friend Candace Zubernat. She's a gay Christian, a wife, a mother, a therapist, a writer, and a speaker. In the past couple years, she's become very popular at conferences, and in 2013, the advocate actually named her one of the top 10 pro-LGBT religious women that you should know. In college, she had a deep desire to serve and connect with God, while also learning the art of therapy. For her graduate work, she went on to study at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, spent the first half of her graduate studies getting her MDiv, but then decided Uh, to complete her studies in a Master's of Counseling and Psychology, where she spent time reading, learning about the integration of theology and psychology. And Seattle School is also where my friend Matthias Roberts goes, which is, you know, pretty cool. In this conversation, we cover a lot of ground, sharing our stories, asking some tough questions, talking about our bodies, about trusting ourselves. It is delicious. I absolutely adore this woman and I think that you are too. So grab yourself a nice cup of whatever you're drinking right now and enjoy this conversation with my friend Candace Zubernat. Only
1: God knows. Only God knows we've tried.
0: Like, who, uh, who is Candace Zubernut?
2: <laughs> I am. Well, I was raised in a Christian family.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, pretty traditional mom and dad and brother. So, family of four. Went mm-hmm. to church, you know, three and a half times a week. Uh, vacation Bible schools, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah.
0: Those were the best, them. weren't they?
2: They were awesome. Um, It's kind of funny because. I only really have positive memories from church. Mm Um, you know, no one ever preached from the pulpit, like homosexuality is a sin. Mm -hmm. Um, people were kind, um, sure there probably weren't like a lot of women up front. Mm -hmm. Um, but it wasn't like a bad experience. Um, so I often wonder, so where did I get the idea of this being so, so horrible, Mm -hmm. um, about being gay? I I don't know where it came from, but anyway, so grew up pretty normally and always felt like I had this, this thing that I was supposed to do or meant Mm -hmm. to do, or lots of people call those a feeling of calling. Mm -hmm. Um, didn't know what it was. And then was going to San Diego state university, um, for college and just longed to, to study the Bible. I was studying counseling, but I wanted to study the Bible and counseling together so badly. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know, college is really expensive and um, didn't have a lot of money. Uh, but then I found out about the Moody Bible Institute, hmm. um, which actually everyone that goes there pretty much gets a scholarship. Um, oh, wow. Just pay for your room and board. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can do, I can study the Bible and I can afford it. And um, so halfway through college, I transferred and moved to Chicago and took to go to school there. Hmm. And it wasn't long before I, I was there and I went from, like, noticing all the guys and, like, oh, gosh. Will someone ask me on a date? Can I find my husband here? Mm-hmm. Um, to, oh, my God, I have the biggest crush on my friend who's a girl.
0: Oh, no. Goodness.
2: It was it was really, really strange. It was really, like, the worst possible place for that to happen. Of course. Um, <laughs> being... Uh, in the dorms and and at Moody, and because
0: I, I seen they're like single-sex dorms, right?
2: Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was only certain times that, you know, we could go into the other dorms, and um, it was it was so back in the day. We they had a rule that like you couldn't wear pants that had pockets on the bottoms. What do you mean? <laughs> pockets like, on
0: like on your butt?
2: Yeah. So you could wear like slacks. Um, and this is a rule it, for women, right? It was a rule for everyone, so at least there was that. But like, I think they, you know, because if you if you have a pocket, you'll look at the butt, and then you know you might want to have sex or something like that. I think
1: was that is the,
0: so crazy to yeah, me. It was crazy.
2: <laughs> you know, you couldn't go to the movie theaters. So it was a. I mean, it's a very conservative place. Um, and I didn't actually realize it was so conservative. So even just outside of realizing, oh my god, I. like i'm putting in quotes like struggling with an attraction for women Mm -hmm. outside of that even just for my own spirituality and who i was as a person it was shocking to be in a space where that kind of dynamic was going on where there's so many rules that um you know guys would say like as a woman you can't talk about the bible um so it was just that alone was enough um to have me really feel to, for it to be a time of struggle for me Mm
1: -hmm.
2: as, as a woman and as someone who wanted to know the Bible. Um, but then on top of that, the horror of, I've never known another gay person. I don't even know the word gay at this point. Um, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: it's literally just this like freak thing that doesn't exist anywhere else. Um, but somehow like now I'm in it. Yeah. Uh, So that sent me on a, like, really long journey of hating myself, um, Mm -hmm. not understanding God. Like, why would he do this to me and then, like, leave me, Mm -hmm. it felt like. Um, I ended up almost getting kicked out of there because, you know, you can't really have a – uh attraction for the same sex and then that. Oh, even just so,
0: like being someone who was attracted to the same sex, not even being like a practicing homosexual quotes.
2: yeah, but I think a big part of that also was that that led me also down you know drinking and smoking and mm-hmm. trying to figure out ways of self harm was trying to figure out ways to deal with that pain,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: so I think all that combined um I was kind of naive and ended up confessing to someone about all everything which. You know, ended up putting me on probation, uh, but finally graduated, but it's even after graduation, you know, it was, um, a big struggle. I actually got engaged to a pastor, a male pastor or right after college as one does. Exactly. Cause if, if you're uh, a lesbian, you should go and, you know, marry a man who's a pastor cause that will help. Yeah, um,
0: the whole, the holy, <laughs> the holiness. <of> it
2: all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was then again. So it was just like, it felt like I went from one environment of pain to, to another in this way. And and the head pastor, you know, was like anyone who you talk to about this or who's, you know, any, really any support system. Um, he wanted me to, to cut off and which I did. I I really, um, believed in his leadership and there was Mm -hmm. this idea of him, you know, being more connected to God and hearing from God more. And he very much supported my relationship with this, with the associate pastor and, It was really strange and, and, um, but there was this one time I was on the L and I, I looked at my finger, which had my ring on it and I saw this really cute girl Mm -hmm. and I realized, I was like, Oh my God, like not even being engaged to this pastor is taking this away. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think the Holy Spirit also at that time was like, something at this church is not right. Mm -hmm. Like they used scripture to try to tell me how bad I was and everything. And I really thought they were right. Like I was like, I think you know, I am that bad, but I have to get the hell out of here um, because my soul is dying. Mm -hmm. Um, So ran away from them, left there, um, eventually went to graduate school and was still like struggling, not understanding this thing, um, this attraction that I had for other women. And then, um, i met my wife who wasn't my wife then obviously Mm -hmm. um i thought she was crazy amazing like i just wanted to be by her and she was took my breath away um which was really awesome but horrible because here she is like she's super straight and Mm -hmm. i'm this horrible sinner who likes oh so
0: she wasn't out of the closet either
2: No. Wow. Yeah. So in fact, she had literally never even thought about being with another woman. Goodness. Yeah. Um, So super, super straight. Uh, So as many of us do, you know, it was that like, oh, my God, I'm such a bad person. I'm falling in love with my best friend. She's going to think I'm a creepazoid. But simultaneously, like, she would, we'd always stay the night at each other's houses. And she would say stuff like, just sleep better when you're here and, mm. <laughs> and I was like I mean who says that I like lesbians. I don't know, lesbians say that <laughs> <laughs> um, and we eventually this we had this sort of dramatic expression of I like you and oh my gosh you like me too moment um, and shortly after that we shared our first kiss oh my which was gosh. you know,
0: magic and fireworks uh,
2: magic fireworks not only was it like an amazing kiss but i was like holy crap like this person that i am falling in love with actually likes me back and we're actually kissing like Mm -hmm. my mind is
0: blown so like the Uh, first lady you ever kissed ended up being your lifelong lady yeah what now that's a romance story that i can get behind right there
2: We, I have kissed other people, um, our relationship because there again, like yeah, she, she was straight and it was a lot for us to process. Um, there was seasons where we decided to kind of try to date other people to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but absolutely the first person, the first woman I kissed, um, ended up being my, uh, my lifelong spouse, um, And it was in that moment, though, that, like, for me, it was crazy because I had been told, like, if you ever kiss a woman, you're going to feel so convicted. You'll feel so far from God. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. yeah. You know, all those things. You'll want to die. So we're kissing, and I'm like, waiting, waiting. I had
0: the same thing happen to me. Like, I remember the first time I ever kissed a boy. It was my first boyfriend ever. It was, like, the first moment that we kissed. I was just like, this feels so right
2: Yes. It was like God was like, "Oh,
0: here you go." It's like, and what's so funny is like in that moment you're just like, "This feels so right," but then like, what happened like after I had my first kiss with the boy, it was like all those like scripts in your brain that you've been trained in like come to the front of it's like, "Well, your body is actually you know a seat of filth and sin, and so you probably shouldn't trust this feeling. You shouldn't trust your body or your mind or what feels." good because obviously um your heart is deceitful above all things and so it just like i i waffled back and forth for a while trying to figure that out but like i remember like the first time i ever kissed a boy it was like that same sort of like oh this is what this is supposed to feel like
2: yeah and maybe maybe it's not so bad and maybe god blesses it
0: Mm -hmm. Um, and then you start and then like my at least in my thoughts i was just like but wait also that sounds like heresy in my
1: mind,
2: <laughs> so, was... you know, for me, it wasn't that way. It was so powerful that I, I thought, I know, I feel the Holy Spirit here. I feel God with me, mm-hmm. and that was enough for me to say, anything I've ever believed about this is wrong. Mm. Uh, at that point, I didn't know what to do with the Bible, but I knew, like God and I were okay, right? Uh, but I. I don't know if it also was that like I had finished my first year of um, grad school where I was studying to be a therapist.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So obviously, when you're studying to be a therapist, there's lots of like, your feelings aren't bad, and mm-hmm. you know all of that kind of process. So that could have also helped me um, accept that the feelings, in the sense, I was having um, were perfectly like good and reasonable things to accept as truth.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: um, but I hate that you that like gift of that moment didn't get to be the biggest gift for you that like Mm. um it's understandable that all those other messages would be just as strong it's so frustrating to me um and i talk to my patients about it all the time and it's something that just Riles me so much this idea that like we can't like our our feelings are deceitful that we are our emotions deceive us mm-hmm. and I don't freaking get it because to be a Christian it's an emotional thing you come to know Christ through like a feeling and an experience mm-hmm. of God being real of the Holy Spirit moving to believe in Jesus that like you can cry when you're worshiping song you know worshiping God through song like. There's so much emotion that people say is like, yeah, you can trust that. You can that. yep, that's God moving in your life. You want to become a missionary? Absolutely. You know, that's God. <laughs> trust that feeling. Right. I mean, except for this one space, like, right, that's the, you can't trust those feelings. But if a feeling led you to declare Christ as your savior, you can trust that one. it's just it's such a double standard and and to not trust like god created us with feeling Mm -hmm. um and it it just riles me because the crazy amount of harm that does that comes when we push our feelings down when we numb it out um it's just so so much harm
0: it's shocking to me like like now in hindsight like i i think back to the ways that i used to think about things and it's it's Shocking to me the amount of times, like, you're just taught not to trust yourself and mm-hmm. just, like, trust, like, this is how it's always been done. You know, I, I want to be with someone, like, who, like, yeah, like, there, there is something to be said about just, like, rationally parsing out what's happened because a lot of times I think, at least for me, I react in anger or I react in fear and I don't react to what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Like, it's more of, like, the defense mechanism. So there is something to be said for, like, weighing your emotions against what's happening. Um, but not to the point where you should mistrust yourself um, exactly and I, and I think that's something that has kind of happened with like the American Evangelical Church and just kind of like in, with society in general Is always like you know we're, we're taught like there's a system that works and you should just fit yourself into that and it's hard when you don't fit into those systems it's hard mm-hmm. when you are you're, it's hard when you're different
2: It is. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, you know, when you and I were just chatting, um, in the beginning of our call, I said something like, I love being a lesbian. I'm so glad. (laughs) Um, and I think that's one of those things where those spaces of that were so painful about being different. Mm -hmm. Um, or even this like feeling of a call I had in my life, I just was like, what the F man. I just I just want to go and be freaking normal. I don't want to be a lesbian. Mm. I don't want to for this call and whatever like all this crap. I want to go and I want to marry a man and I either want to be a mom, something really normal, mm. an accountant. I don't know. Like Right.
0: It'd be so um, much simpler.
2: So much simpler. And now I'm I mean, I'm just so happy those those sort of unnormal spaces within me are the places I get the most enjoyment out of my life and like mm. um it's it makes life interesting and, and fun and, and I like being unique I, I like mm-hmm. um, the diversity of my life and, and so mm-hmm. I'm now I'm able to be grateful for it but it causes pain for a long
1: time.
0: Yeah, you know? I think it's very. There's always this metaphor that I kind of picked up a couple years ago um, about <laughs> it was actually uh, being from the the Pentecostal Pentecostal Bastille uh, religious background. Um, you know, people would come up and they'd give like a prophetic word for the, the congregation. Mm. And I remember one so specifically, and it still rings so clearly, like anytime I'm going through like a really painful moment um, is she was talking about how in uh, first or second Kings, I can't remember if it was Elijah or Elisha who like uh, slayed the prophets of Baal column of fire that uh, like destroyed like all the prophets of Baal and the altar itself. Um, do you remember that story from the Old Testament? I don't. Oh, it's such a good story. So here's the story. I believe it was Elijah. Elijah is, he calls on all the prophets of Baal to come and we're basically going to have a, a who got, who's God is better competition, right? <laughs> and so he says, like, they go and they said, like, you know, whoever's whoever's God can call down fire and consume the offering here. That's the the true God. And so all the prophets of Baal are doing their things. They're like cutting themselves, you know, like being, doing what prophets of Baal do. I don't know what prophets of Baal do, (laughs) but it describes like they basically like mutilated themselves and like for like hours on end called for Baal to do something and never did. And Elijah says, okay, here's my offering. Now all you prophets go in there and get like all these ginormous jugs of water and pour it on there. And said, and go and do it again. So they did it seven times to the point where, like, there was, like, a space around the altar that, like, a ditch they had dug. And it was filled with water. It's so, like every, the, the altar was soaked. The water around it was soaked. And, you know, they were soaked. Everything was wet. And he says, like, and he looks up to the sky and prays to God. And it says, in an instant, a column of fire came down and consumed the altar, the offering, and the prophets of Baal. Like, burned them all up. And it was just like this crazy thing, and then it's and, and people usually stop there and they don't go on to the next section where it says, and Elijah was greatly distressed because now he's thinking, holy shit, I just killed all the prophets of Baal. <laughs> Bathsheba is going to come after me because I killed all of her, her priests, and she's the one who's in control right now, and so he says that he. Um, he placed his head between his knees. And this was also during a time of Israel where it was seven years of drought. It hadn't rained in Israel for seven years. Mm-hmm. And so he, he put his head between his knees and he's, he sends his servant and he says, go to the horizon and see if there is any clouds. Comes back, no clouds. Sends him back seven times. No clouds, no clouds, no clouds. And then on the seventh time, the servant returns and says, there is the uh, a cloud the size of a man's hand that is forming in the distance. And he says go tell the king to get his chariots ready and go because the rains are coming. And the, the, the thing she kind of pulled out of that whole big thing is that there are times in our lives when like we see the goodness of God, that we're so sure of what God has done. And yet then we come to a moment where circumstance scares us and whatever's happening. And in those moments when we're waiting on God, when we're waiting for the rains to come, we don't know what's going to happen. And so uh, the specific position she pulled was Elijah had his head between his knees. Like, you know, so I kind of picture someone like hunched over, like squatting their heads down and they're freaking out. And she pointed out like that's an old school birthing position, you know, Mm. for the old world. Like, you know, you didn't have your legs up in stirrups. Like, you know, you were. And so she said, like, she said, so whatever is in your life, like, you know, that God is trying to do it's time to assume the birthing position that through so much pain and so much unknowing, even though you've seen God before, you're in a season of pain, you're in a season of worry, assume the birthing position and know that the rains, whatever the rains are coming, whatever God is birthing in you is coming to a forefront. And the the reason I bring that story up is just the idea God does something miraculous with the painful things in our life. Mm-hmm. God transforms them and uses them to become our greatest ministry. I remember one time, even, uh, Rick Warren, Rick Warren, writer of 40 days of purpose said mm-hmm. on day one of that little stupid DVD that God will take your most painful experiences and make them into your greatest ministry. And mm. damn, if it wasn't true.
2: <laughs> oh, Rick, he, he really gets it there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he got it right. He got one thing right. He
2: did. He did. Yeah. And so
0: now, um, to turn the microphone back to you, um, you well, I mean, just are...
2: so something, just really Sorry. quick. I mean, something that you you said really made me. I mean, I lo- thank you for sharing that. First of all, it's beautiful, and I I'm sitting here just sort of like opening my heart to mm. the experience of that. But it really made me think. Like I said, you know, after this first kiss, I was like, I didn't struggle with is God okay with this or not, right? Mm. But it, I did. I could have taken that like like let's say it was a blessing of God, and I sh- I could have been like okay, so I'm going to go out into the world and now and be myself and have a ministry or whatever it was. But instead I entered into a long, long time of being in a closeted relationship because of Christian community I was in, the friends I had, um, where my wife, where Crystal was at her process. And, um, she had an employer who she couldn't be out in. And so we were closeted for five years in a relationship. And so when I think about like, I wonder I wonder what would have happened in my life if I would have taken the, the blessing I felt in that kiss and been able to directly share that and just be myself in my life. Mm. I I don't know what, what would have happened. Um, but instead I, I just sort of held that for myself and I couldn't Mm. share it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that meant a lot more pain. Mm. Um, but that's, I think that story of just made me think about that, that, um, I wasn't quite ready to take that blessing.
0: Ooh, I wasn't ready to take the blessing. That's good. That's interesting. That's very interesting how we do that. I think that's a lot of people's experience too. Mm. It's like God shows up, does something big. And then we're just like, "Uh, hold on a second.
2: Yeah. Well, you mentioned loss, right? And because Mm. absolutely it was like, I don't want to lose. I don't want to, we're going to lose so much. We Mm. might lose everything. Uh, I don't want to lose everything
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and so it means grieving and it means coming to terms with what we might lose and yeah. that takes a while sometimes yeah i i don't want to say always but what i've experienced in my life and as i've walked with other people is the um the losing of yourself is so much greater than the losing of other people
1: yeah
2: even when you lose things and people when you come out it's somehow it doesn't compare to like the pain of rejecting yourself, being closeted, Mm -hmm. trying to push down who you really are. Um, It's a different kind of pain.
0: That's one of the things that Christ even talked about. It was just like, those who seek to save their life are going to lose it. But those who want to find their life, will lose their life you know it's almost just like you think like you think all these things that are your life are so important and, and and they are and they're good but like if you like it's almost like if you want the things of of God if you really want the life that God has for you it involves leaving certain things leaving like your false self behind and even that's even that process is painful of shedding shedding of that' false self shedding the skin shedding the lies that have kept you very comfortable um even uh not comfortable, perhaps, but just like it's familiar, and mm-hmm. you know that you have certain comforts, you do have certain comforts because like you have community, you have your family and all that stuff, but then you know is it true, mm-hmm. you know it's the same thing like I don't know what would have happened if like I'd allowed that first that first kiss to be the gift that it was, and you know, and I don't need to know why, um, yeah, but it's. It's just very interesting to think about what could have been different.
2: <laughs> it is.
0: Yeah, I don't think I would have I would have been as involved with Christian community as as I am now if I did that though, mm. because I think that experience of just kind of like being in and out of uh, in and out of the closet, so to speak, I drove myself into my studies of the word and I drove myself into Christian community somewhat out of fear, but it also had a lot of a lot of good things happen because of it. You mm. know. I I think like my not like my knowledge of the scriptures was increased I think my appreciation for certain parts of orthodoxy you know came to fruition that way I don't know who can not
1: to-
2: Yeah absolutely I mean I get what you're saying as far as even the goodness in that um I mean I wouldn't be as good of a therapist I don't think Oh yeah if I um there's a whole new level I think of even just understanding the messiness of relationship mm-hmm. that um that I very much can identify with. Um, Mm -hmm. In fact, I think uh, when I think about like a lot of people, it's easy to point to queer relationships and be like, look at, I mean, they have a drinking problem and they have a porn issue or, and that these people keep cheating on each other and see, see those are examples. They are codependent. These are examples of why queer relationships are sinful and bad. And I think that would have been an easy thing I mean, you sort of look at that and you're like, well, how can I argue against it, right? Mm-hmm. But because I went through being in a closeted relationship for so long and saw what it did to us personally and emotionally and psychologically, um, did we drink? Yeah, we drank a lot. Mm. Uh, did we overeat? We overate. Did we um, treat each other the best that we could? No, we um, we were emotional wrecks. Um like the stress and the toll that being closeted, it, ha- it, it, um, created a relationship that didn't get to be as healthy as it could have been. And so even that, so when I meet with couples and it's, it can be really, I love it because I get to express to them, like, actually these like quote unquote, like sinful or harmful parts of your relationship, I think are actually, um, you trying to deal with the pain.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So let's deal with the pain. Mm-hmm. And, um then I have a feeling like these other things will take care of themselves, yeah, so i'm I'm as as hard and freaking painful as that time was uh, you know, you can't go back, mm-hmm. and I'm grateful for it now, so yeah,
0: you get it, like cause yeah, like, I get it because you're you're a therapist now, um, do you mostly work with queer individuals or do you work with people in any stage or walk of life?
2: I mostly work with Queer people. I have a couple straight patients, and uh, that's great. But that's not what I specialize in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm always open to meet with parents as well. But I think that they're a little bit more timid to meet with me. Um, mm-hmm. They kind of assume I'm going to be like, "You're a bad mom or dad," uh, you know, like mm-hmm. you need to hurry up and love your kid. Um, so that's not my heart for for parents who are struggling with their queer. Um, kid coming out to them. But um, it's a, it's a, I love what I get to do. It's one of those things I like pinch myself like, so this was that calling. Mm -hmm. That is so rad. Yeah,
0: come on. So you have a website called the Christian closet.
2: I do. And
0: you tell tell me about that. Tell me about all the things you do there.
2: Yeah. So it's kind of, I was in a place of I had a regular practice, and it was like, gosh, this surely is not the thing that I was like I was meant to do. And I end up closing that down and praying and deserting And my dad calls me, and he's like, Candace, I've been praying for you, and um, I want you to know, God, I feel like God shared with me what you're supposed to do. Hmm. I'm like, oh my, this is amazing. I like my dad's a smart guy; he's a great Christian. Like, of course, God told him. We go out to coffee, and I'm like super eager, and I'm sitting there. and He's like, I really feel like God's wants you to open a therapy practice online. So you see your patients like on Skype. And I was like, (laughs) that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. I hated it. I was like, (laughs) this is not from God. This is dumb. I'm, I was like so mad at my dad because it just felt like all this hope. And then it crumbled. And, and then it was about seven months later and I woke up on my birthday actually. Mm -hmm. And I turned to my wife and I was like,
1: (gasps) I know what it is.
2: I was like, It's my dad's idea, but the reason why it felt so wrong is because of the um, LGBT slash Christian side of this. It needs to be for those people, Mm -hmm. um, the people that I most connect with and most identify with, um, that's that's the element that was missing that made it all come together and so then I was like, okay, I don't know how to start this, but I'm just going to like, I'm going to Google how to create a website. I'm going to Google how to do a Facebook page and um, and just kind of start it um, and put myself out there and slowly people started to hear about me. And mm-hmm. um, so I get to meet with people all over the world, actually,
0: Wow. And,
2: you know, missionaries or people in the military or people who live in, inter- you know, internationally mm-hmm. um, and walk with them through getting to find freedom and the fullness of who they are, which is pretty awesome.
0: And how long have you been, when did that launch?
2: So I've been a therapist for, I don't know, something like 12 years or something. And that I've been doing this for like four, four odd years or something Mm -hmm. like that.
0: Goodness. Hearing when people say I've been doing this for like a year, I always think it's very interesting because I, (laughs) I have never had the same job. Like, for more than six months, yeah. and, and I think I think that's mostly because like it I don't want to say it's because I'm fickle, I think it's just because like I'm just now realizing that not just now realizing it, but I'm finally accepting the fact that I'm supposed to be a pastor, mm. and I hate that, but also I'm very excited about the process of that what that's gonna look like whenever whenever someone says, oh i did I've been doing this for like twelve years, I'm just like well <laughs> like you you've you've, com- you've committed to something for twelve years like what? I know uh,
2: sometimes my wife will be like so when we're 50 60 do you think you're still going to be doing this um, I think probably mm-hmm. I also sometimes feel like um, I want to go and study more theology and who mm-hmm. knows maybe there's something more of that in my future but um, it's one of those things where just who I am and my personality um, combined with my story it's a really good fit mm-hmm. on the I feel really
0: lucky. When I think about the next 10 years of like the kind of work that you and I are in, I feel like it's, it's kind of like practical things. Like now that I feel like we're out of like the baby stage of the movement, we're out of, we're moving away from just saying, okay, now we all understand that being queer is okay and celebrated and good still a lot of work to be done in a lot of places. But now that like, we're kind of like getting our legs, it's just like, okay, how do we deal with the rest of our life now? You know, how do we deal with like finding our career? How do we deal with relationships and how do we contribute to other movements for justice that still need our help and our, you know, now that we've gotten to the point where like, we're okay with living, like, you know, how do we do this business of living?
2: Absolutely. That's really well said. There's a lot of people who, still aren't there mm-hmm. but i think um it does feel that even just culturally we have moved hopefully further out of that and that it is more about so now so now what
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah how do mm-hmm. we do this thing a living it's a great way to say it another place i pinch myself i'm like wow i got to marry someone amazing mm-hmm. my i feel like she's my soulmate we have two kids we literally have a white picket fence like ah these are things I never would have thought I, I would have. Right? Is this is the impossibility, mm-hmm. um, and yet it is it is so possible. Um, yeah. And not just for me. It's not like I'm this random person who gets to have that.
0: Um, yeah, it's so open I'm, to everybody.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is. It it's it's not easy for everyone, but it is open for everyone. Mm-hmm.
0: My friend Matthias. Do you know you know Matthias right? I do. Uh huh. Ugh. I love my sister, but Matthias and I were talking, and um, he was in like some workshop with uh, an older, um, an older gay man who was like a gay priest, and he says like, "You guys do realize that you are my generation's dream," Mm. and it just like so hit me in the face of just like, you know, ten, fifteen years ago, spaces like conversations like you and I are having were not a thing. Oh. spaces like GCN not a thing. And it could it never in like I even think about like from when I was in high school to now, it's like I am my high school version like I am the dream of my high school self. Totally. And how crazy is it that it it, it I mean it took a little bit but we got here?
2: Yeah. I mean, every time I read a blog, I talk to someone, I go to GCN or a Reformation Project or anything, I'm like, "Oh my god, I what would have happened in my world if this had existed when I was young? Holy mm-hmm. crap. Like, I, I mean the, the book room at GCN this last year had like seven seminaries.
1: <gasps> mm-hmm.
2: I can't like if, when I was looking for a seminary, if I had been like, Oh wow, look at, here's one that people can be gay. at. I, that would have been so amazing. What? Yeah. Mind blown. Um, so you're right. I mean, the, these conversations are happening. There's safe spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, there's churches that are affirming. None of that existed before. Um, and um, it's awesome what they do.
0: What yeah. a time to be alive. That was my conversation with Candace Zubernet. You can find and connect with Candace on Twitter at the Christian CL and on facebook.com/ the Christian closet and you can learn more about her work and her therapy practice which is the Christian closet at the And if you are somebody who is in need of counseling or therapy which Lord knows we all do, Candace actually like she said in the interview, she does that this is what she does with her life and I know that she would love to hear from you if you're somebody who is in need of that kind of service. So check it out if you're interested. I know she uh, ugh, she's just delightful. I can't say enough about her. And speaking of mental health, I wanted to take a second and plug a podcast that my friends recently created that I love and I think it is so important. So my friends Robert Vohr and Steve Austin created this podcast called C-X-M-H, and that stands for Christian Mental Health, and that's exactly what they're talking about on this podcast. It's completely devoted to talking about the intersections of mental health and Christian faith. And oftentimes, if you grew up the way I did, or many of us grew up in the conservative realm, mental health was not a thing that we talked about. In fact, it was considered a weakness to even seek help through therapy or getting a prescription for a medication to help us live a more balanced and healthy life. As someone who is myself a survivor of multiple suicide attempts and as someone who still struggles with anxiety and depression, I can't stress this enough how important it is that we're, we're talking about this, especially in light of the social and political climate that we have right now. So what I want you to do right now is go over to the podcast store, search CXMH, and it's going to bring up the podcast. Subscribe, listen to it, share it with your friends, and you can also connect with them on Twitter at CXMH Podcast and over at CXMHpodcast.com. The latest episode actually features one of my favorite humans and a former guest of this show, Mr. Mike Maharg, where they're going to be talking about uh, brain injuries, neurotheology, and the, you know the tyrant who's currently waiting in the White House. To get evicted. So again, of CXMH, the Christian Mental Health Podcast. Check it out. Share it with your friends. It is so important. Um, before I go, and as you know, a tiny revolution is a part of the Bedlam Podcast Network. We're a collection of creatives and rebels and activists who are sounding off on things that actually matter. So whether it's movies or modern faith, creative living, culture, sexuality, we've got something that's geared toward you. Head on over to BedlamPodcast.com and learn more about our awesome shows and learn how you can advertise with us and reach a very, very diverse audience. I know that just within my first 20 episodes, I've already had over 10,000 downloads. And so i just saying it's lit and it's only getting better. As always, you can connect with me over at TheKevinGarcia.com. And if you subscribe, I'll send you my ebook for free. You can connect with me through all my social media through that. I think that's everything for me. I'm done talking, and I love you so much. Guys, I've missed you. And it's so good to be back. Tune in again next week where I'm going to have my friend, the Reverend Jonathan Vanderbeck. And we are going to be talking about sex. Woo! Because who doesn't love talking about sex? No, honestly, it's probably one of the most provocative and very interesting episodes I've ever produced. You're going to love it. So uh, that's it for this week's episode of A Tiny Revolution. My name is Kevin Garcia. I hope you loved this, and I hope that you remember that you are loved so much. I'll talk to you again soon. Mwah! Am doing this right?
2: I mean, who says that? I, like, lesbians. I don't know, lesbians say that. <laughs> <laughs>